I don't get up here each week and ask if anybody has something that they would like to share. Sunday morning is not like open mic at a local coffee house. Some would read this verse and argue, we are not doing what scripture tells us to do. That doesn't take into account that this verse is not prescribing what a church service should be like. It is describing what is happening when the Corinthians gather. There are a lot of Corinthians showing up wanting their moment in the spotlight. The last part of verse 26 is actually super helpful for Christians in understanding what we should be doing when we gather together. Let all things be done for building up. Compared to the Old Testament, the New Testament gives an immense amount of freedom to Christians. Building one another up is a key goal of gathering. This does not mean it is the only goal. We also gather to glorify God. What is being said here is that everything we do when we gather together should be done with the intent of building one another up. At least some of the Corinthians are using the times when they gather together selfishly. They think worship is about their own individual aggrandizement. Paul is making the point, a core reason for Christians gathering is to build up other Christians. This continues to be true today. How we worship is secondary to the goals of worship. It follows what our intent is in gathering to worship. In verses 27 through 32 of today's text, prophecy and speaking in tongues, when Christians gather to worship, are the presenting issues through which Paul is working out the practical implications of a paradox that Christians struggle with today as Christians struggled when this letter was written. Through Jesus Christ, God wants to have a personal relationship with every person which is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the good news. It is what Paul preached to the Corinthians, that God wanted to have a personal relationship with each of them. And they were very excited to hear that was the case. After embracing this message, they sought to live it out. Prior to Paul sharing the good news with them, they had had an immature conception of having a personal relationship with God. The Stoics among them, they thought God was an impersonal force. Those who went to pagan temples to worship thought that you needed to relate to the gods through priests and sacrifices and religious ceremonies that had to be followed to the T. So now that they are Christians, when the Corinthians worship, 
They're simply acting out their faulty understanding of a personal relationship with God. In their minds, this is all that matters. Their faith is between them and God. Nothing else really matters, including how their fellow believers are affected positively or negatively. Paul is pointing out to them that in addition to being immature, this approach doesn't work out well in practice. They're also not taking into account the role their own sin continues to play. They're confusing their selfish desires with the outworking of the Holy Spirit in and through their personal experience in worship. So what does this mean for us? For much of the past 200 years in Christianity, a personal relationship with God has been the primary focus. This is good news worth celebrating. We believe, as the Corinthians did, that through Jesus Christ, God wants to have a personal relationship with every person that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. That is truly awesome news. However, Modern Christianity is struggling in much the same way the Corinthians were. There is a tendency to think that because God wants to be in a personal relationship with us, our experience, what we feel and think is what matters above all. Christians do have a personal relationship with God. That doesn't mean our personal experience is all that matters. The other side of this paradox of Christianity is that while Christians do have a personal relationship with God, this relationship incorporates Christians into a larger whole, the body of Christ. The church through which that personal relationship with Christ is possible. Every Christian, every person in this room that's a Christian, is part of something much greater than themselves. In the history of Christianity, this has often taken on flawed forms that were pale imitations of what was supposed to be the case. During the Reformation, the constraints of the Catholic Church were rejected. At the time, the Catholic Church tried to force all Christians to exist under its authority. It took advantage of the power it had to make demands on Christians. Before we get too high and mighty as Protestants, we should recognize this same tendency is often recreated in non-Catholic churches. Rejecting the authority of a church to force everyone to fit into a box that only roughly corresponds to what Jesus Christ desires is necessary. You know, if Jesus had wanted to create a bureaucratic institution to carry out his purposes, he could have done so. He didn't. He created a living body 
made up of many individual parts. In rejecting the flawed corporate forms the church has taken in the past, Christians have often completely embraced the individual aspects of faith to the exclusion of recognizing that we are part of something bigger. This has real world consequences. Over time, churches have increasingly come to operate on the attractional model that seeks to provide the best personal spiritual experience to keep seats filled and offering plates full. Ministering to people where they are, that's not a problem. But often, ministering to people where they are turns into affirming people wherever they are, so long as they are content. We certainly see this in a variety of areas, from, from sex to money, all over the place. In many churches, a person's feeling that God affirms the lifestyle that feels right to them is the ultimate authority. This is not how being incorporated into the body of Christ works. Just because a behavior feels like it works for you doesn't mean that it is acceptable. Every Christian's actions affect every other Christian that person is closely connected with in the body of Christ. For, for those of you that, that aren't married, that have never been married before, this is, this is a kind of not quite as intense form as marriage. Like the hardest part about marriage is that everything you do in marriage affects your spouse. There's nothing that you can do that doesn't affect your spouse on some level. And as Christians, as being part of the same church, that is true, not to the same extent, but it is definitely true. It's not just true of hot topic issues in our society. It is true of how we spend our time and money. And as Paul makes clear in these verses, it is true of how we worship. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Nobody likes confusion. Everyone wants peace. There are certain things other people enjoy that I, I just can't really understand. I don't get it when people really enjoy really spicy food, for example. I have zero desire to ever run a marathon. It has no appeal to me. It baffles me. It is, I, I would much rather run a marathon than do this. It baffles me when anybody willingly takes a child under five apple picking. Just why would you expose yourself to that? Well, I don't enjoy spicy food, marathons, or apple picking. I recognize that other people do. But if somebody told me, you know what I really like? I just like to be confused. It's such a, just great. I wouldn't believe them because there's no upside to confusion. Nobody enjoys being confused. The only 
enjoyable part of being confused is when you stop being confused. It's the feeling of it being resolved. God knows people don't like confusion. He is the one who implanted in us a desire for order. At creation, God brought about order out of confusion. Order is necessary for human flourishing. In the garden, there was no confusion. When sin came into the world, confusion came with it. As a result of confusion, people cannot get along well with each other or with God. The human race ends up operating like a bunch of chickens with their heads locked on. True peace, true order, can only come about through God's presence. It's not that people don't try to bring about peace on our own. We certainly do. Our approach is to try to demand everyone be the same, that everybody be like us. This is what you see in more restrictive churches. Peace gets confused with obedience to an observable standard that leaves hearts untouched. Another approach to attaining peace is just to have no expectations at all. And this is what you see in some other churches. The standard is the individual. But this approach doesn't take into account that sin has wrapped itself around every human heart. When God's kingdom is truly growing, peace will be expanding. God reforms the confusion present in every person. He does so through the redemption of Jesus Christ. He does so through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This should be absolutely true when Christians gather together to build one another up. Peace should be a result of us gathering together because we are giving up part of our individualism to fit within something that's greater than ourselves. But in doing so, in doing so, we're supposed to be defining, not defining, but understanding who God has made us to be, how he has made us to fit as individuals into a larger body of Christ. So when we gather, how we relate to one another when we do so indicates the extent to which God's peace has been made real in each of us individually and also together corporately. Christian spiritual maturity will exhibit itself in the peace of God being made manifest in individual Christians, which will then result in, in churches that are moving forward in peace. The take home from today's verses is important. As a church, one of the main reasons we gather together is to build one another up. Every Christian has a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is part of something larger than ourselves, the universal church, as we build one another up through worshiping together, there will be less confusion, less contentiousness. God is unified when we are truly acting in alignment with God's purposes, 
we will be unified as well. We will be at peace. As kids mature, they realize that being loud, making yourself the center of attention, it's not the same thing as having authority. Christians must realize the same. We are not competing to draw attention to ourselves within the church. God has blessed each of you through the gifting of the Holy Spirit to lift up and encourage every other Christian. When Christians are operating as they should, order and peace will transpire. Now for this to happen, Christians in worship shouldn't either be the center of attention or passive observer, observers, but participants that recognize that every person, each of you here has a part to play. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we often lack uh, lack clarity, lack knowledge of the role that we have to play. It's, it's easier for our faith to be an individual thing. It's easy to think that it's all about how we feel and, and our own experiences and, and not express concern, not live out concern for one another, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that you would give us the clarity to understand how we are to relate to one another, both in worship and throughout our lives, Lord, that we are able to build each other up, Lord, that your kingdom is able to grow. I ask all these things in Jesus' name.